All right. Good morning, everybody. Anybody want a boot phone? Anybody want to go back to the, the big one? Any Saved by the Bell fans out there? The Zach Morris cell phone? Remember those, right? It is hard to believe that that at one point was shocking, that that was new. It wasn't that long ago when the thought of being constantly connected was unheard of. Not just to, to make a call, right? Remember when phones were for calling people? Right? And that you can do everything. That that, 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 that constant connection was unheard of, that you wouldn't think that you could get a hold of anybody in the world at any time, not just through the phone, but through text or social media or whatever it is. And watching a story like that is fascinating because something that it's something you and I couldn't imagine life without now, right? Maybe this has happened to you. It was, I don't know, a couple months ago uh, now. I was on hold, I think, for something with our taxes or whatever. You know when you're on hold for a long time, you just kind of forget where your phone is, right? Anybody ever do one of these, right? You just do that for a long time. And so as I do, when I'm on the phone for a long time, I pace, I walk, I can't stand still. Maybe some of you are like that. So I'm pacing around my house and I'm like this, just on hold, you know, listening to the elevator music on the phone and everything like that. And at some point during that conversation, the thought literally went through my mind, I need to get caught up on some text messages. Where's my phone? Don't tell me you've never done that, right? Has anybody ever done that, right? It's, it almost becomes like an appendage of our body, right? In a way, uh, we, we, we go on a, on a trip, and the thing that we get frustrated about is you look at your phone and you see how many bars do you have, right? And we get frustrated because I only have one or two bars, not four or five bars, right? Or you're driving, you're having a, a, a long telephone conversation with somebody as you're driving long distances, and there's good spots and there's bad spots, depending on what carrier uh, you have, what, what your coverage looks like, and your bars are going up and down, and that person starts to cut out, and then they say, oh, I'll have to call you back. I have a bad connection, right? I have a bad connection. We are so reliant on that. And so as we get started this morning, I want to start with a question that's a little more important, that's quite a bit deeper than that. How's your connection with God these days? If you were looking at it in those terms, is it, is it tight or is it disconnected? Is it crackly? Is there static? Is there interference? How's your connection with God? In cell phone terms, do you feel like, are you at four or five bars or feeling pretty close or is it more like one or two bars? If you looked at it in those terms, how is your connection with God? And as frustrating it is when we can't get a hold of people around us or you keep calling somebody or texting somebody, why won't they pick up their phone, right? It is much more important that we ask this question. The, the length of time that we can go with being disconnected from the heart of God, from the God that created us. And I cannot think, help but think, about how much joy, about how much peace, about how much freedom, about how much wisdom, godly wisdom from the smartest person in the universe that we miss out on because we don't pay attention to keeping a constant connection with the God that created us. In the spirit of full disclosure, anybody else struggle with this? Your phone is maybe your alarm clock as well, and it sits by your bed. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? I'm sure you get down on your knees and you pray by your bed, right? And you ask God, what do you have? You know, oh, no, let's see whose kitty's stuck up in a tree today, right? And we scroll through our feed, right? I just had this thought yesterday. What if we were that intentional with paying attention to notifications from the Holy Spirit? What if we were that intentional that when we woke up in the morning, before the, 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 the fear and the anxiety and the burdens of the day come scrolling through and the opinions around us come scrolling through in our feed, what if we ask the God that created us that put breath in your lungs to wake up in the morning, 
And before you even touched your phone, you just said, God, what do you have for me today? How many notifications have we missed out on because we're way, way more intrigued by everybody else's opinion than the God that created us? How much wisdom, how much joy, how much love, how much peace in your soul in the midst of the burdens of our day are we missing out on because we don't have that constant connection with God? Well, one thing's for sure, regardless of how you feel like your bars are at, your connection with God is today, the issue isn't on his end, right? He's the satellite signal going out, and God's always got five bars. That signal is going out, and what we're going to discover today, that the issue is not, is God speaking? Is God communicating to us? The question is, are we listening, and how are we responding, right? That's the definition of what it means to be a Christian. That's the definition of what it means to follow Jesus. We're not here this morning to have a big gathering, to have a big party, to sing some songs and pray some prayers and go home unchanged, right? I hope you walk out of those doors every single Sunday morning going, I am a different person than when I walked in those doors. And if not, we're doing something wrong, okay? This isn't a show. This isn't a production, right? What it means to follow Jesus is to say, Jesus, what are you saying to me and what am I going to do about it, right? That's what apprentices do. That's what students do. That's what disciples do. And that's who we are as disciples of Jesus. So, what would it look like to up your connection with God this morning is we're going to find out it's not about whether God's speaking. It's about whether we are listening and responding. And that is the charge that's put in front of God's people that you heard read about very dramatically and ver done very well, uh, mind you, in our scripture reading <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> All of our scripture readers for the last month and a half, we've been in Esther and Isaiah, which... God gets a little grumpy in the Old Testament, if you haven't noticed, right? I feel bad for all of our scripture readers, like, God's angry and his wrath is coming. Welcome to hope, by the way. We're glad you're here, right? So thank you guys for your grace in the scripture readings. But that's what we're going to discover in our reading for today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah. That's where we're going to be today, the book of Isaiah. If you need one, there's Bibles all around the worship center. The book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Testament. Uh, and so it's going to be in the first part of your Bible, kind of towards the middle. The Old Testament is pretty long as well. We've been doing 12 books in 12 months, 12 books in 12 months. And that's kind of been our theme this year at Hope at all of our campuses. And so we're diving into the book of Isaiah, which is a prophetic book. There are some books in the Old Testament that are known as the prophets, the prophet books written by prophets uh, to God. There are some major prophets. Everybody say major and there are some minor prophets. Everybody say minor. <clears throat> Not because they're less important or anything like that, because they're a little shorter, because they don't cover the same span of history, the same span of time, and they weren't as influential in that time that Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the other longer ones were, that some of the other prophets kind of tell the story and come alongside. You do know that the Bible is not chronological, right? Okay, some of the books hop around and tell different parts of the story. Holistically, it's chronological, right? But some of these books build on each other a little bit. So Isaiah is a major prophet. Now I'm guessing that a lot of you, as we dive into this new book of Isaiah, uh, you can't remember the last time you sat down and you're like, I need a nice, cheery devotional reading this morning. So I'm going to go to Isaiah and read about God's wrath, right? <laughs> probably not, right? We probably go to the New Testament, right? But what you're going to find is that not only does the Old Testament give power and richness and meaning to the New Testament, but Jesus is all over the prophets, right? Jesus is all over them. We don't read Isaiah just one time a year. Probably the last time you heard of Isaiah was Advent, was in the season leading up to Christmas because Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, a lot of these other prophets speak of this little six-pound, eight-ounce baby, sweet little baby Jesus that's coming, right? 
Well, Isaiah is much more than just speaking as a precursor to Christmas. There's a lot there for us. Isaiah was written by a man with the same name, Isaiah. He was a prophet living in Jerusalem at the time when, needless to say, God's people had lost their connection to God. And it wasn't just that like God was calling and you know you can hit end or you can swipe and, and pick it up, right? It wasn't that they just weren't listening. In our day and age, in our terms, basically God's people had saw God calling, reaching out to them over and over. They'd spiked their phone on the ground. They'd taken their heel, dug into it, crushed it, and walked the other way. That was the depth of the sin and the violence and the corruption and the hatred that lived among God's people, and it wasn't supposed to be that way. If you remember, God's people were supposed to be this shining example, this city on a hill, this lighthouse that all the other nations could look at and go, wow, I want to be like them. But instead, they'd gone the opposite direction. Instead of standing out as this godly example that's in a covenant relationship with God, what happened is they basically just blended in and became like all the nations around them. And so the world that Isaiah is speaking into, the Israel that Isaiah is calling out here is one of corruption especially in their leadership and one of idolatry and oppression of the poor. They had ignored the covenant that God had made. So in, in, in steps Isaiah, and as we begin this book, just to kind of get a feel for the, for the layout of what Isaiah looks like, and I'll turn this around so everybody can, can see it. So here's Isaiah, and there's two different parts. I, I didn't spell that right at all. Okay, you, you get it, okay? <laughs> you try writing up here on a whiteboard, okay? Okay. You get it, all right? Pastor, not an English professor, okay? So, all right. So there's Isaiah. There's two parts to Isaiah. First of all is there's judgment. Everybody say judgment. I'm going to start over, okay? There we go. All right. Everybody help me now. Here we go. I-S-A-I-A-H. It's like we're on a... Yeah. There you go. I feel like I should throw a souvenir up to the upper deck or something like that. There you go, sorry, hang on to that for me, right? I feel like we're on a game show or something like that, right? There's two main parts to Isaiah. The first piece is judgment. Everybody say judgment. Okay, I think I got that one, right? Is the judgment. And that is in chapters 1 through 39. So as you read through Isaiah, a lot of it's heavy. A lot of it's harsh. A lot of it's God's anger, a lot of it's God's wrath, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But that's the judgment, and a part of that judgment is God is warning his people, if you continue to run away from me and turn your backs on me, you're going to get taken over, and you're going to go into exile, which kind of cuts right through the middle of the book of Isaiah. And you're going to go into exile, you're going to be taken over by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, and things like that. But the second part of Isaiah, which is just important, is the part of Isaiah that speaks to the hope. Everybody say hope. hope. And there's two parts to it. And right down the middle is this exile. So chapters 40 through 66, it's a really long book, speak of this hope that we have in the coming Messiah. And right down the middle is something that's called the exile. Everybody say exile. exile. Meaning God's people are not going to be living the way that they want to live. They're going to be taken out of their home country. So right down the middle of this exile, the judgment speaks to that. So we kind of have pre-exile and post-exile are the two parts of the book of Isaiah. And so there, this hope that we have speaks into the future to the coming Messiah, to the coming of Jesus Christ. So right in the middle of the darkness is this message of hope, which is pretty appropriate for a day like today, don't you think? Right in the middle of an evil, violent, corrupt, dark world 
Isaiah, yes, speaks this judgment, but there is also this hope that this Messiah is coming that is going to set all things right. God doesn't just let his people wander away. He speaks to them. He calls out to them, not with a cell phone, but with people known as the prophets. And Isaiah is one of them. And the best way to understand this, just to give you a visual, is that basically the prophets were like this. Anybody ever seen a blowhorn, a megaphone like this, right? Ooh, there's a siren option on here, just in case anybody was sleeping. I won't do that, right? So basically, the point, what if I did the whole sermon like this? That would be awesome, right? So you've seen this guy, right? You've seen these guys down at the farmer's market, right? That's kind of what the prophets were like in a way, but here's the thing about the megaphone. For a megaphone to work, can it speak on its own? Does a megaphone just go off on its own and say whatever it wants? No, right? For a megaphone to work, you need a sender, you need somebody speaking into it, and you need a receiver on the other end. Well, the receiver was God's people, right? The sender was God himself speaking these messages. The prophets aren't just making them up. And so the megaphone, the medium in which these messages gets across is the prophets. So that's who they are. No, I won't do that to you. But that's essentially, that's what the prophets are. They are the megaphone and they're communicating God's heart to the people. And so you hear things like, hear the word of the Lord and things like that. That's the role of a prophet. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Elijah, all of those. Now, do you think that God's messages to his people were these cute little messages? No, you heard it in our scripture reading this morning. They're not like, hey, you know, there's this thing called sin and we're just going to kind of try to shove it under the rug and we'll just pretend, you know, that that's not a big deal. And so if you guys could just turn around and, and please come back, you know, it's okay to do whatever you want, but when you get around to it, if you could repent of your sins and come, no, nothing could be further from the truth. These are challenging messages from God. I mean, you heard the scripture reading this morning, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, your worship is detestable to me. They become a burden. I'm weary, weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, God says, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening, right? Cheery, really cheery, right? And yet we look at that and, and, and why is God so angry with his people? Because their hearts are far from him. They've lost the most important connection and that's the relationship that they have. Not only are they not talking to God, they have walked the other way. But the worst part of it is this. As their hearts are far from him, they continue to fake it. They continue to go through the motions. There's nothing that God hates more than people whose hearts are far from them, and yet they go through the motions and pretend like everything's fine, and they, there's no hint of remorse. They never address the real issues. That's how far gone God's people were. And this, when Isaiah is speaking here, God has been pleading with them for years, come back, come back, come back. The closest thing I could think of to this, and parents, you'll know what I'm talking about here, is parents that are pleading with their children, right? On kind of a humorous sense, those of you with young children, like, Come on, is it going through one ear and going out the other? Like you're not getting it, right? Maybe on a more serious note, those of you that have grown children that have made painful decisions, right? And you see them walking away. Do you just stand back and say, oh, I don't care? No, you get angry. You get frustrated, right? If you have young kids, you know all about it. The, you're used to the excuses and the blaming and the meltdowns. It's no different 
in the pastor's house, right? It's no different in our house. This happens on a regular basis. The other day, Tiffany and I were in the kitchen working on something, and our kids were playing in the other room. Caleb's six, and Evie's four, and all of a sudden, we hear this crash, and then right afterwards, normally, there's a little bit of silence, the, sh the shock and horror, and then there's the screaming, right? And we walk in there, and we hear this crash of all these blocks, okay? We have wood, you know, blocks for building castles and things like that. Caleb is on the floor having a meltdown, screaming, crying, tears running down his cheeks, and our dear, sweet little Everly, she is the, <clears throat> the most honest and yet mischievous girl that I have ever met, she is standing over in the corner just looking at him like this. And he's just writhing in pain, in agony, with tears rolling down his cheeks. And I just walk in and I say, what happened? Right? And before Caleb could even get a word out, Evie just goes, I did it. I knocked down Caleb's blocks. I'm going to go to timeout. <laughs> and she, she sent herself to timeout. She walked over. And then about five minutes later, I walked over on the stairs and I said, honey, are you ready to apologize? Nope, not yet, okay? She wasn't ready, okay? Our four-year-old sent herself to time out, right? The Holy Spirit conviction just set in. They didn't have to do anything, right? Now, that is not normal, okay? That is not normal, and thank you, we have it easy. I cannot help but think if God's people were like our four-year-old in that moment, the Old Testament would be a sliver of what it is today. The bulk of the Old Testament is God calling out to his people, running away disobedience. God calls out to his people, running away disobedience. If only they would have listened. If only they would have felt that conviction. If only they would have turned their hearts back. God's people needed a timeout. And for hundreds and thousands of years, they kept running away over and over and over again. And I think one of the struggles, if we're honest, that you and I have when we read the Old Testament, particularly the prophets, is that God's punishment for the sins of his people seems so harsh, doesn't it? It seems so judgmental. Why does God get so angry? Well, I kind of turn that back on us. Why do we get so angry? Why do we get frustrated with our kids? Because we know what's best for them, and it crushes us. It breaks our hearts when they make painful choices. Think about it. Who are the people that you get the most angry with in your life? Random strangers? I mean, if you have road rage, maybe, right? <laughs> Who are the people that you get the most angry with and upset at? Probably the person sitting next to you right now, unless you just met them, okay? <laughs> the person you're married to, your, your kids, right? Your parents, the people you love the most, because if you didn't care you wouldn't be angry. That's where it stems from. So often we forget that love is not a feeling that God has. Love is who God is. It's the very essence of his character. God cannot help but love us. It's who he is. And more than any place in the scripture, I think it's in the prophets that we get a picture not only not only of the depth of our sin, but also the mercy and grace and pursuing love of our God. More than any other place in all of Scripture, we won't be able to understand the weight and the power of the New Testament and what Jesus has done for us on the cross if we don't spend any time in the Old Testament and the lengths that God went to to pursue his people. Often we get the wrong view of sin. We have a kind of a small view of sin, and we think, oh, I screwed up, I made a mistake again, and then God has this giant, giant ruler up in the clouds, and 
He smacks us down and said, try not to do that again. Sin is this painful, gut-wrenching separation between us and the God who made us. You know that feeling when the person that you love the most turns their back on you over? Some of you have felt the pain and the hurt of betrayal in relationships before in your life. To think that's just a fraction, that's just an iota of what the heart of God feels. God is not some just like puffy force up in the clouds. God is a being. He is a relational being. We are made in his image. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And it breaks his heart when we turn our back on him. Think about the people that you love the most in this world. And nobody knows that feeling better than your friend and mine, Forrest. Forrest Gump, right? None other than, and I can't just say Jenny, right? Jenny, right? Last night at our five o'clock service, we had two gals singing up here on the worship team. Their names were Jenny and Jen. You can't make this stuff up, right? So here's Forrest, right? And a lot of you have seen this before and you think, oh, Forrest Gump. This is this unique uh, uh, commentary on American history from the 60s up until now. I beg to differ. I think if you would rewatch Forrest Gump with a new set of lenses, I think you will find it as almost a scene-by-scene parable of most any prophetic book in the Old Testament. The story of Forrest Gump is not a commentary on American history, although it is to some extent. You'll remember Forrest from the moment that he laid eyes on Jenny spends most, Jenny spends most of the movie running away, prostituting herself, unfaithful, running away to other lovers again and again and again. But in every single moment, who comes pursuing? Forrest. Take a look. Do you hear the heart of God? <laughs> Forrest says, I was made to love you. This is, this is who I am. The real story of Forrest Gump is Jenny running to empty well after empty well, to lover after lover, to substance after substance, to try to fill the ache and try to get the love that was right in front of her in Forrest the entire time. And I wonder if that's not our story as well. I wonder if that is not the story of the Old Testament, that that's our story today. Now, when it comes to idolatry and things like that, I'm guessing if anybody, anybody have a golden calf that they worship in their front yard? Anybody? If you do, let's, let's connect afterwards. I want to talk to you about that. Um, our idolatry looks a little different these days. It looks a little more subtle. Often, how often do we run to th- all sorts of things, craving the love and the affection and the joy that God's holding out for us? It's the unhealthy relationships that we run to. It's the substances, even, even good things like other relationships. It's, it's, it's the good things like our hobbies or our kids' sports or activities or our job. Idols in our lives are whatever gets our affection, whatever we run to looking for life. And one of the reasons that I think we lose that connection to God, that we don't have the bars that we desire in our relationship with God, is because we don't believe that he's enough. We don't believe that he's enough to fill the ache inside. Just like Jenny could not believe that Forrest's love was enough for her. She could not believe that she was lovable. And the reality of our sin is that so often we treat the the, the surface level, we treat the symptoms, we treat the behavior, but the root of sin is not the behavior, it's unbelief. 
You trace the root of every single act of disobedience of sin, whether it's in the Old Testament or whether it's in our hearts this morning. The root of sin is unbelief. That God's love is not enough for us. That I can't trust the heart of God. Just like Jenny could not believe that she was lovable. But just like Forrest, even to the very end, God never gives up on us. Listen to God's heart plead with us in verse 18 and 19 in Isaiah chapter 1. Let's read it together nice and loud up on the screen. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Even in the middle of their rebellion, right? What does Romans tell us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for us to get all cleaned up and be good enough and then say, now they're worthy of me giving my life for them, right? In exchange for our sin, while we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. We're going to sing a song later on today, Jesus paid it all. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Would you even believe it? Thousands of years before baby Jesus was born, right? Thousands of years, we get this foreshadowing of the Messiah to come, when Jesus' blood would be spilled and his body would be broken on the cross to wash us clean. Take great hope in that today. I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you're feeling a little disconnected. Maybe you've been running away like Jenny. There's a reason that certain movies stir a heart and you watch them is because it's speaking to your soul. You do know that, right? Oh, emotional movie. God's like reaching into your heart and saying, that's you. That's me. Story is the language of the heart and some of us are Jenny's. God keeps calling out, keep pursuing us and we run the other way. We run and we go to all these empty wells thinking we're gonna get filled up. Maybe you are convinced today that your lack of connection with God is because of a sin that you've committed or a a mistake that you made and you think there's no way, there's no way that I can get that connection again because of what I've done. God hasn't stopped loving you. God says even when you ignore me, even when you're lazy and apathetic, even those of you that haven't opened your Bible in months, I'm still coming for you. I'm still pursuing you. My love is still enough for you. I am still enough for you, God says. And you don't have to run to all those empty wells. What does Forrest say to Jenny all throughout the movie? But Jenny, you're my gal. And that's what Jesus says to you this morning. You're my daughter. You're my son. And I'm never giving up on you. No matter what you've done or where you've been or who you are, the hope for Israel was that the Messiah was to come. On the other side of exile, on the other side of all these, these, these uh, prophetic writings, the Messiah would come one day. Our hope is that the Messiah is here and he is closer to you than you could ever imagine. He's right there with you today and he's offering you this hope and he's saying you can get that connection back. You can have that five-bar type of relationship with God and it's not gonna be because of your own effort. It's because my love is flowing and your role is to receive it. This isn't a works-based righteousness where we say, God, if I do all these things, then I'll feel close to you again. He's right next to you today. I almost get this picture of God calling us just to take one step. You remember the story of the prodigal son? 
It says that the, 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 the younger son went off and, 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 and blew everything, blew his inheritance on wild living and all these things. And it says the father looked out on the path one day and it says while the son was a long way off, meaning he maybe, maybe just maybe he turned around from his life of sin and he just took one step. He just turned around and took one step back to God. It says, while he was a long way off, the father came running and wrapped him up in his arms and lavished him with his love and threw a party for him because my son who was lost has been found again. I think that's God's heart for you this morning. If you're feeling like there's a, a distance there, it doesn't say that the father who's representing your heavenly father said, well, you need to come grovel back to me and crawl your way and beg for my forgiveness. The son took one step, one step, and the father came running back to him. That's God's heart in Isaiah. Just one step. Just turn around, and I'll be there with open arms. So what would that look like? I want to make this very practical, and I want to leave you with just four quick ideas of what would it look like to take one step today if you feel like you have that disconnect with God, okay? One step. Everybody say one step. One step and God comes running for us. The first one is this, it's confession. And I know that's not a very cheery word, but I've said it once and I'll say it again. Confession is the first step to freedom. Confession is the first step to freedom. Usually, and I'm speaking from experience here, when I don't feel very close to God, when I feel like there's a disconnect, when I feel like there's tension there, it's because there's some unresolved sin in my life that I haven't confessed that I'm trying to shove something under the rug, that, that there's something I'm trying to hide from God. There's, there's anger in my heart. There's bitterness in my heart. Maybe guilt or shame over a mistake that I've made in the past. It's really hard to receive God's love when our hearts are hard and calloused. Maybe there's somebody that I haven't forgiven and I need to go forgive them so I can freely understand what grace means for me. First question whenever I feel disconnected from God, is there anything I need to come clean about? Praise God that today is communion weekend as well, communion Sunday. That's what communion is for. When you come on up here in a little bit and get in line for communion, it's not like, well, I earned my right for communion today. I've been a good Christian this week. That's actually the opposite of the point. The point is that I'm coming, walking in here, broken, beat up, messed up, and all my mistakes and all my screw-ups this week, I don't deserve to be here, and that's why I'm getting in line, because I, deserve God's, I don't deserve God's grace, but he's giving it to me freely. Amen? That's what communion is about. So we confess. That's the first step. Is there anything that we need to confess? The second step, what would it look like to take one step back to God? Is we spend quality time with God. So many of us want the fruit of the relationship with God without the sun and the rain. <laughs> we want the results of it. We look at other people's relationship with God. We say, I want their prayer life. I want their relationship. I want what they have. But we don't because we don't take that time. Think about it. The people that you love the most, maybe that you're sitting around today, how did you develop that connection with them? Quality time, right? Not for an hour a week sitting in a row listening to some guy talk, right? You do life together. You spend quality time together. What does that look like? You spend time getting into God's word. Three things I'll just give you as little helpful hints this morning. The first one is this idea of REAP, R-E-A-P. Everybody say REAP. If you've taken the core class, you know that's an acronym for read, examine, apply, pray. It's just a simple acronym that you can take, ten, spend time with God for 10 minutes. Read, examine, apply, pray. If you are too busy to pray, you are too busy. 
to spend time with the God that created you, that got you up this morning. The second one, if you haven't downloaded the YouVersion app, it's amazing. It's God's word right in the palm of your hand on your phone. That's why I don't mind some of you having your phones out during the sermon, because I trust you're either tweeting about the sermon or you're following along on your Bible, right? And that's okay. The YouVersion app will remind you if you forget to pray, okay? It's like Holy Spirit conviction in your pocket, okay? Who doesn't need that, right? You have the YouVersion app. We schedule what's important. I know so many people, and I look at their calendar. It's like boom, 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 boom. Got it all scheduled out. Schedule an appointment with God every day and keep it and don't break it. You schedule for your kids. You schedule for yourself. You schedule for your social life. You schedule for work. Put God in your calendar. I know that sounds weird, but he's the first thing to go. Oh, I had a really busy week. Didn't have time to spend time with God. And then invite him in to your entire day. Quality time. And I know that some of you, when you're reading your Bible, you're like, John, it's not. I talked to somebody this last week. John, I've been reading my Bible for months and I got nothing. Like it's just dry and it's empty. Trust the process. Stay steady. And trust that even when you don't feel it, that God is still planting seeds and he's growing things underneath the surface. God is changing you and God is preparing you even if you don't feel it. So number one, the first step, confession. Secondly, quality time. The third one is community. Everybody say community. You know, that's a loaded word, right? Here's the thing, though. Often when I'm talking with people that are struggling or they feel disconnected in their relationship with God, the first thing I'll ask them, I'll pray for them, and the second thing I'll ask them is, are you in any type of small group, life group, or you in type of relationship with other Christians? And they're like, oh, no. No, no, no. Ever since I felt disconnected from God, I just pulled out of all those things. I just kind of want to put my head in my hands and go, oh, that's the whole point. We don't run to Christian community to show off our spirituality. We run to Christian community so that we're broken people coming together and saying, we're going to learn how to lift each other up and support each other. Sometimes I need the kick of another person. Sometimes I need, as, as Hebrews says, we're called to spur one another on, right? Like a cowboy with a spur and a horse. Sometimes I need that. Sometimes I need the brothers and sisters in my life to come alongside of me and kick me in the rear a little bit. Sometimes I need that encouragement or that iron sharpening iron. I will say this. Sometimes we need other people to hear from God for us. On our behalf. That's the power of community. That's the power of a small group. If you're feeling disconnected, I need to make a decision. I need wisdom. Don't isolate if you're feeling far away from God this morning, the worst possible thing you can do is isolate. Don't run away from Christian community. Run to Christian community. God put people in your life for those times of disconnect. So we confess. We spend quality time. Number three, we immerse ourselves in community. And finally, that first step, and this may seem counterintuitive, that first step is we join God's mission. So often I'll hear people say, John, I got I to gotta feel closer to God and then I'll start serving. What if you just did the opposite? Because what happens when we start to let our heart break for the things that God's heart breaks for, it changes us. And all of a sudden you start to care. What does God say through Isaiah chapter, chapter 1 verse 17? Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. There is no doubt what's on the top of God's heart. The vulnerable and the oppressed. If you want to care about the things that God cares about, care about the vulnerable and the oppressed. I mean, it says it right there. 
And sometimes I think that we think that like, oh, well, John, I live in Des Moines. I'm not in Africa, so I can't really do things like that. You do know that we have orphans and widows living in our neighborhood within blocks of this church. You don't have to go find it. It's finding us. It's here. It was here for Vacation Bible School. It's here for Whiz Kids. We talked about that last week. What's one way that you can join God's mission? And he'll start tugging on your heart. You're out shopping for your kids' or grandkids' school supplies. Pick up one of those postcards on your way out today, and God will start shifting things in your heart. Maybe it's being a part of Whiz Kids and come and helping reading or tutoring kids that we reach out to on Thursday nights. We don't stop our mission with VBS every year. It keeps going. If you've lost your connection with God, ask him, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. And that's where the joy normally comes from. When you get your eyes off of you and onto the needs of other people. The people that I know that are really, really struggling and maybe feel that disconnect is because they're just stuck in navel-gazing. The second I start serving, that's where the joy comes from. That's where the passion comes from, is I start looking to the needs of others, and it gives me perspective of the world around me. Just take one step. More than anything this morning, God wants your heart. That's what he's always wanted, is just you. Not your activity, not your busyness for him. God wants your heart. And at the end of Hosea, which is one of the minor prophets in chapter 14, God says this to his people. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God, and I will heal your waywardness and love you freely. Hmm. You want that? I want that. I want to know what it means to experience that wild, crazy, passionate love of Jesus Christ. And you can experience that this morning. What a beautiful image, re returning to the arms of the one who loves you best. And at the, towards the end of Forrest Gump, we get a picture of this, because this is exactly how it happened. You know, Forrest Gump is 100% historically accurate. <laughs> or not. But look at this picture. Forrest is out giving a speech, and when he hears the cry of the one he loves, he comes running. Take a look. In that moment, it didn't matter what Jenny had done or where she'd been. All that mattered in that moment is that Forrest heard the cry, heard the call of the one that he loved. And just like the prodigal father that came running for his son, Forrest says, I don't care. And he just starts moving through the crowd and elbowing people. My daughter, my son, God says, you've come back. I mean, the reason we love the endings of all these movies is because they're glimpses of heaven. They're glimpses of what it was supposed to be like. And it can be like again. When God's kingdom moves, it brings people back together. Most importantly, you with the heart of the God that loves you. Just take one step and Forrest comes running. And I have to believe that later today you're going to go home and some of you will forget all about this. And God says, I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm not going to stop loving you, even if you shove me off to the side. Make other things more important. Some of you are going to go home this afternoon and you're going to open up your Bible. And the moment you open up your Bible and the moment that you take that one step and open up your heart to God, 
I want you to remember that scene. I want you to remember that picture and the God of the universe coming down off of his throne wherever he's hanging out today. And well, he's God, so he doesn't elbow people, but he comes going through the crowd just like for his knees running through. He says, it's you. I've missed you so much. After the service today, some of you are going to walk back there and you're going to grab one of those back-to-school flyers because you're going to stop navel-gazing and get your eyes off of yourself. Some of you are going to go sign up to be a bus driver for Breakfast Club. Some of you are going to sign up to help with WizKids. Some of you are going to join the hospitality team, and God's going to go, they're back! They're back! I love you so much. My love for you has never changed. You just took that one step. I've missed you so much. Oh, it's so great to have you back again. It's all grace. It's all grace, even in the midst of Isaiah. It's all grace. It's all love. And the God of the universe is coming, running for you with open arms this morning. And all he asks us to do is receive it. Receive it. Receive that love. And that's what communion is all about. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we prepare our hearts for communion.